0: To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. John David Cleveland, a pediatric heart surgeon at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Dr. Cleveland, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Laura. Happy to be here.
0: Well, fantastic. Uh, First off, Dr. Cleveland, could you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for becoming a pediatric heart surgeon? What really drives you to do the work you do?
1: You know, Laura, that's a really interesting question for me, and it's pretty unique in the fact that I was born into a house with a father who's a pediatric heart surgeon, grew up around the field and, you know, witnessing and watching what he did, highly respecting his job, uh, but also I experienced a lot of the the downside to having a father who's a pediatric heart surgeon, having somebody who wasn't around the home very much, uh, who missed a lot of my events growing up, and you know for that reason, I actually grew up thinking that it was something that I never wanted to do and as I have evolved you know during my education preparation into entering into the career world, uh, little small things happened along the way that encouraged my progress uh, to entering into the field, uh, whether it was you know the initial uh, inception and, and ability to, to see that I had a natural talent for biology uh, and understanding the science world, uh, eventually being pushed towards medical school, to you know, finally at the end of medical school realizing that uh, cardiac physiology and the ability to operate uh, and impact that uh, through you know, surgical techniques uh, was something that really captured my imagination. Uh, and eventually pushed me into the field itself, and then eventually uh, coming into adult heart surgery residency and realizing that uh, congenital heart surgery uh, is so incredibly unique. Each patient uh, has a heart uh, essentially like their own thumbprint, uh, highly unique and formed to them themselves, uh, and the opportunity to be able to operate on and impact those children for a long time to come. Uh, absolutely drove me into the field of which I never thought I would be uh, and as that has evolved in, in being here now um, I'm driven in a new way uh, a new way in which having experienced uh, caring for these children uh, as well as their families it's really a comprehensive care because these are uh, children born in the families and it completely changes the dynamics of those families and mm-hmm. The drive that, that carries me forward in my job every day uh, is to seek restoration of, of those children's hearts uh, and ultimately reconcile them and their families and allow them to move forward into normal life as, as much as is possible. Uh, and that drives what I do every day. It drives how I think about uh, research in the field and, and how we can change to be better Uh, and ultimately how we can reconcile families uh, that deal with children with congenital heart disease, that have uh, those children born into into their families, that they could be reconciled to more normal lives because it is such an earth-shattering thing for them to have to reconcile.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us, and obviously appreciate all the work you do. Now, I understand you recently performed a pioneering procedure using an adult stent to save the life of a premature baby. Can you tell us about that surgery and outcome?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is a really interesting case, um, one that came to us from another hospital uh, because they really didn't know how to manage the baby. it was a child who was born extremely premature. Uh, He was born at 26 26 weeks premature, whereas normal gestational age would be somewhere between 37 and 40 weeks. Uh, Alex was our our patient. He was born uh, at 26 weeks premature, and he weighed approximately 900 grams, which translates to about 2 pounds. Uh, When a baby is that small, it's very difficult to do uh, any heart surgery on them and uh, particularly with the lesion that he was born with, which is called total anomalous pulmonary venous return. Conceptually, total anomalous pulmonary venous return is a failure of the lungs to connect to the back of the heart during development. They form separately, but at one point during development, uh, the veins of the lungs are supposed to connect into the left side so that you can maintain a circulation in series, which is what all normal hearts do. When the lungs fail to connect to the back of the heart, that's a non-survivable situation unless the lungs can figure out a way to return blood back to the other side, the right side of the heart. And uh, this patient in particular, his veins drained from his lungs back down into his abdomen, through his liver, back to the right side of his heart, which eventually was able to make it back to the left side of his heart through a hole at the top of his heart which is supposed to be there during development. When you're born that hole is normally supposed to close and that abnormal connection that he had is also supposed to close. If either of those closes, that's a fatal event for him. So when he was transferred to our hospital here he was stable but only so long as those openings stayed open. And we had to make a decision about whether we would perform his operation at that period of time, which is the ultimate treatment for his condition, or if we could do something else to delay it. Now, the challenge about operating really early and really small is it predisposes him to all the risks associated with uh, the condition at such a high rate that I personally, when I saw him, did not think he would survive. And so the team here at Children's Hospital Los Angeles we put our heads together and we came up with a really great idea that has been talked about in the literature probably internationally only about nine or ten times, and it's to use a stent, which is a, you know, a piece of metal that helps prop open an artery normally intended to be used in the, in, inside the heart of an adult to treat a heart attack, to use that stent to open up the abnormal pathways in this patient so that they would stay open for a prolonged period of time while the baby could grow and get to an age where he was full term and therefore safe to undergo the surgery in the operating room. Now, that took, obviously, about two months for him to get there. And so what we did is we took him back to the to the cath lab with the cardiologists, uh, and they were able to access his abnormal pathways, put this coronary stent on the inside, and they weren't treating a heart attack, obviously as you would an adult, but instead treating total anomalous pulmonary venous return. Opened up that pathway, and the baby was able to grow for the next two months. Uh, and at that point in time, we took him back to, to the surgery, and we performed his total anomalous pulmonary venous return repair. Uh, that surgery itself requires something called circulatory arrest, where you put the patient on a heart-lung machine, cool his body down to really cold temperatures, about 18 degrees centigrade, and then you shut off all the blood flow to his body. So by all medical definitions, the baby's dead during that period of time. No blood is flowing, the heart is not pumping, his lungs are not going, and his brain is at electrical silence. And then we have about 45 minutes to reattach the lungs to the back of the heart with uh, suture material where we open up both sides and we sew them together, uh, and we have about 45 minutes before irreversible brain, da- brain damage sets in. And then we replace his heart back in. We restart uh, the machine, and we warm him back up to regular temperatures and separate from the machine. The baby did excellent. Uh, he has recovered and made a- almost a near full recovery and is probably be discharged from the hospital in the next few weeks.
0: Wow, that's an amazing story and so interesting to hear how some of the medical developments have allowed you to do such a, an important procedure on such a small child. So that that's really heartwarming to know that you've been able to do that and been successful with the outcome. And really, it'll be great, I'm sure, for the baby and the family once uh, he's discharged from the hospital.
1: I think so. The great news for the baby is that he's unlikely to need another operation for the rest of his life. Uh, on his heart and and at least for this specific problem so it really is a great outcome uh, and a wonderful you know example of how technology is healing children today that would have passed away you know 10 or 15 years ago
0: it's fascinating and so inspiring to hear what are you most excited about in pediatric heart care today i'm sure obviously the procedure you were just able to do is extremely exciting but what else are you looking forward to on the horizon
1: I think providers are so incredibly uh, creative um, at this point in time, and they identify problems, uh, which obviously is the first step in anything. You have to identify the problems, understand what causes it, and then seek a solution. And there are so many bright individuals in our field that are doing that. There are various different technologies that are coming out, and there are valves in development uh, that can be valve replacements that don't require any blood dinners uh, that may never have to be replaced after you put them into a child. We're ourselves actually doing some research on heart transplantation that might be a cure for single ventricle disease. And you know, we really we really are pushing the frontiers of what was previously deemed possible. Cause some major paradigm shifts, in my personal opinion, in the coming years. I think that we've gotten so good at caring for patients up to this point in time that. You know, operations that used to carry an 80% mortality now carry a 2% mortality. So we've gotten so good with the technique that the next frontier is obviously the technology uh, and the development of, you know, tissue engineering that's going to allow us to to push into the next frontier. Uh, Because a lot of the things that we do now are limited by our patch patch materials or our valves, things that can't grow with the patient or they require us, certain degree of blood thinning, uh, which carries its own sets of risks, uh, but as, as tissue engineering technology progresses forward, along with uh, other, other evolving techniques, uh, I think that we're in, in, in store for even better results.
0: Well, thank you so much for going through that with us, Dr. Cleveland. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask you a question about leadership. Can you provide three pieces of advice for aspiring clinical leaders today, especially those who want to be on the forefront of their specialties?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question, Laura. Um, and I think it's something really important, um, something I've personally seen a lot of and experienced here and, and blessed to be a part of the team here at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, uh, because I think that it embodies Uh, the three things that I think are are great advice for aspiring clinical leaders and what people should try to seek for in the institutions that they belong. I think the first one of those is you have to care about what you're doing and in this case in in clinical care it's caring about your patients. You have to, to care about that. It can't be about anything else. It can't be about your own self promotion. It can't be about the promotion of the institution. It has to be centered at everything uh, is taking care of the child who's at the end of the therapy at every single moment in time. I think the next part is, you know, when, when you want to be a clinical leader, you need to not fear being creative. I think a lot of people, uh, particularly in this, this specific instance, uh, our pioneering procedure we did here, doubted uh, the idea that we put forth and doubted, the fact that we could have good results by doing something that was a little bit outside the box. Uh, But if you can choose creativity, um, understanding that you're ultimately trying to deliver the best care for that patient going back to that first tenant, I think uh, that you're going to be able to push forward uh, in the clinical realm and really be a leader moving forward. And then the last part is is you really want to find a team that you can surround yourself with that's going to uphold those first two values with you. They're not going to be afraid to be creative, and they're going to be caring and and really have the care of the patient at the center of everything that they think about. And I think, I mean, that's what I have experienced here, and that's what made us so successful in our care of this baby recently, is we had a great team uh, that was willing to think outside the box, was willing to take risks to save his life. Uh, and ultimately we found a really great outcome because that's what we set out to do from the beginning was to seek a good outcome and to be creative in our, in our approach for it. So I think those would be my three top pieces of advice to somebody looking to, to be a clinical leader in our field uh, as they look for either a place to land uh, or look to change the environment around them uh, as they seek uh, to care for patients with congenital heart disease.
0: Dr. Cleveland, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. I really appreciate especially the the anecdote that you told about your recent procedure and then really the pieces of advice you have for clinical leadership. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future.
1: Thank you very much, Laura. It was a pleasure to talk to you.